You can save up to 80% of your hosting costs by switching to Flight Control. Flight Control is a new deployment platform by the creator of Blitz.js that solves the age-old Heroku versus AWS trade-off by bringing the Heroku-style developer experience natively to AWS. The beauty of Flight Control is that it doesn't require any AWS skills, but since it deploys to your AWS account, you have the ability to inspect and tweak anything should the need arise. Flight Control works with any language or framework. It supports servers, static sites, and databases. Sign up at flightcontrol.dev and use the code SOFTWARESOCIAL to get 20% off your first three months. Hey everyone, I am so excited to have a guest with us today who is someone I have talked to on Twitter a lot um, and shared a lot of dog pictures with but have never actually spoken to. So it is Marie Ung, aka Three Hour Coffee, the force behind Llama Life. Marie, welcome to Software Social. Thank you. That was a good intro. (laughs) (laughs) So excited to have you here. As I was thinking about this, I realized that we actually haven't talked about business very much. Like we mostly just trade pictures of your adorable dog and then like my strawberries on my farm and my dog and used to like fleet together when that was a Mm -hmm. thing on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say it all started with fleets, right? Because um, I think we've sort of seen each other around and amongst the Twitter like indie hacker audience, there were a handful of us that were really using fleets a lot. Yeah, and and Vic. And Vic as well. Yeah. Um, Hey, Vic, if you're listening. And um, I I think what I liked about your fleets is that you used it to show a glimpse into your personal life. And I tried to do the same as well, like just showing pictures of my dog and when we're walking and just not so much business stuff. And I think some people were using it for more business and a bit more like promotions and marketing. And I tended not not to follow those fleets as much. So I think we ended up just kind of looking at each other's fleets a lot and just commenting. And um, I feel like I kind of got to know you a little bit through that. But yes, we haven't really talked about business or, you know, indie hacker journey or anything like that. It's just been more personal stuff. But that's great as well. Yeah. And I think it's like, I don't so I don't know how you feel about Twitter, but like, I guess I have this like reticence about sharing stuff that's too far, you know, sort of... like off brand, so to speak, right? Like I I honestly like hate the concept of personal brand. Like I find it really stifling. I think that was actually a part of like what dealt with like the burnout I had last fall Mm. that I felt like really just kind of pigeonholed of my own doing and my own pressure. What I loved about Fleets is I felt like I could just share, yeah, like what was going on with my strawberries or like how the tomatoes like weren't doing well or like, you know, just like pictures of my dog playing. I guess I feel like if I shared that kind of thing, I guess I'm always afraid like, oh, people followed me because they want me to be this business person who's going to help them grow their business or whatever. Like they don't care about my strawberries, right? And I don't know if that's true, but like that's how I felt about it. and. So I felt like fleets kind of gave me that freedom. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think when I started Twitter, I had the same kind of concern. So I remember early on, I was kind of writing down like, here's kind of what I want my account to be about. And here's like the tone that I want. I had this list of, I don't know, like 10 different things. And I was trying really hard to fit within that. And in the end, I just kind of threw that all out. And I was like, all right, well, I think the easiest way to do it is just be myself. And I actually have a rule for myself, which is like when I tweet, I generally don't take more than two minutes to do the tweet. So it's a two minute rule. And the reason for that, and it might not work for everyone, but I find this helps for me is that if I take more than two minutes, it's not, I feel like I'm not being authentic or I'm not, or I'm overthinking it. So for me, it's like, all right, well, if I can't write it in two minutes, I just delete it because probably wasn't really meant to be shared or the thought behind it wasn't clear enough to be shared. And yeah, that's just kind of how I do it. I'm just trying to be myself, I guess, on Twitter. And there's a lot yeah. of typos in my tweets too, just because <laughs> because I'm doing it quickly. And I'm like, well, that's I guess that's just part of my account. There's typos in there. 
and I'll leave it. <laughs> it's fine. It's your account and if people don't like it, they can go somewhere Yeah, else. yeah, that's the thing. It's not a book, you know. Like I think if you're writing a book, then obviously you want to spell check it, make sure everything's perfect. Books but- still have typos. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about someone who may be me. <laughs> was finding typos in their book like oh is that when you have like the as next recently edition? as like six months ago and I was like oh, oh my no. god I thought I found all of them I hired a copy editor like I yeah or proofreader like I just yeah that, that's when you do like you know sec- <laughs> second edition third edition <laughs> you fix it all in that introduce more errors in the process yeah so okay so so you built llama life which speaking of branding the llama branding is fantastic and it's like a a to-do list productivity thing like (laughs) (laughs) close enough yeah yeah it is a to-do list at the core but the main sort of focus for it, no pun intended, is to help you focus. So I still use a separate to-do list app. I put everything in Notion. That's kind of like my master to-do list. But when I'm working for the day, I transfer stuff to Llama Life. And the thing that's different about Llama Life is it lets you add a timer, a countdown timer, not a stopwatch, a countdown timer to every single task. And the concept behind that is kind of like a time boxing concept kind of like a slightly different spin on the Pomodoro technique, a slightly more flexible Pomodoro technique because you can assign any amount of time that you want to a task. And I find that just helps me focus because I know I've got a set amount of time. Um, Maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 15. And I try not to do anything else during that time. And I just focus on whatever task it is that is in Llama Life. And I guess on top of that, it's a little bit, the design is a little bit fun. So it's designed to feel kind of low pressure, There's a lot of emoji in there and it's designed to make you feel good when you complete a task. So you get things like confetti animations when you finish something and lots of little sound effects that, that are kind of cute in nature. And yeah, so it's a, it's an app that helps you focus at the end of the day. It's sort of like a to-do list, but it has all like these sort of built in dopamine boosters on top of actually completing a task because it sounds like it's really Mm -hmm. important that the person using it feels a sense of accomplishment Mm -hmm. from it and that it pressures them into it like a lot of these things sound like basically things I have had to somehow build into how I work like manually with paper checklists and stuff like that as somebody with ADHD because I have spent Mm. so much time over my life trying to figure out how to make myself focus, how to, Mm. you know, get tasks done and everything. Like, I'm curious, why did you make it? Not just the reason of like, you didn't like existing to-do lists, but like, Mm. why? Why were you so motivated to build this? Yes. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on fleets or DMs or whatever, but I've got ADHD as well. Can I just, okay. Okay. I feel, I was like, I feel that this is like the kind of thing that would be built by an ADTer, but like, I don't want to ask that. Like, that's up to her to like offer that. Okay. No, yeah, I get it. It's it's funny. It's funny because like I had this challenge, right? Of, you know, do I put this on the landing page or not? When I was putting together the landing page, I wasn't sure if I should kind of mention that. But at the end of the day, I decided to just make it a bit more general because other people can benefit from this as well. So my thinking is that if I design it with neurodiversity in mind, like, and I'm coming from that background, then, you know, everybody in my mind is kind of on a spectrum anyway. So even if you're further along the spectrum, if it's designed with neurodiversity in mind, then you could probably still get some benefit from it. And that's kind of what I'm finding. I don't think all of Llama Life's customers have ADHD. I'm pretty sure that's not the case, but I do know a large number of them do. And I know that because they actually email me and they say, oh my God, like this tool is like you're, you've designed this tool that works for my brain. Like this is exactly kind of the thing I'm looking for. I've, I've been looking for a long time. And yeah, it's kind of interesting. So when you say, you know, why did you build this? There's two reasons. One is I couldn't find a tool that worked for me and I was trying to do all these hacks with other tools that were out there, but they just felt like it just was too, it was just too much. Like I was trying to do too many things and it was getting in the way of the actual productivity. So I started just trying to put in features that like I wanted and that worked for me. That was the first reason. The second reason is I was just learning how to code. I taught myself how to code about two years ago, just by watching YouTube videos and 
you know, when you're learning to code, one of the first things you you make is a to-do list. I think a lot of, you know, new developers are like, let me make a to-do list because it's a really good way to practice web development because you get to, you know, you work with a database and you can create a task, you can edit a task, you can write to the database, retrieve tasks. There's a lot of good things that you can learn by making a to-do list app. So it started off as like a really simple to-do list. And then I put it on Twitter and people were like, I really want this. So I just started building it out more and more and then adding in features that like I just wanted. And it started getting a following from that, from just sharing the stuff that I was working on and just the fact that some of the features were a little bit different, a little bit kind of quirky or just a little bit focused on the fact that I've got really bad time blindness. So I was putting in a lot of features to help with that and people liked that. They were either surprised because they'd never seen that before or they were just searching for that because they already had that need. I love that. I mean, there's so many things in there like that I'm exploding to talk about. So like the first (laughs) thing is like building something as an ADHDer, basically for ADHDers without actually saying it. Like that Mm. reminds me a lot of what Marie Poulin does with Notion Mastery because she Mm. started using Notion. Sounds like you do as well, sort of as her like second brain because we forget things a lot. We need a place to store things. And I think there's this thing, um, you know, I, I believe that like all of the things we have that like that are deficiencies or seen as deficiencies, if you can master those, you can then turn them into this thing that like massively helps other people, even if they don't have that struggle. And so I think because those of us with ADHD have to spend so much time like learning these very basic things about how do you focus and what makes you feel accomplished and what makes you go on to another task and like what are all of the things that can go wrong when you're trying to just get one stupidly simple thing done and you've been Mm. at your desk for four hours and still not done it and it would take you 10 seconds to do it how do you prevent yourself from getting in that situation like we've had to think about that yeah so much like more Mm. than somebody who maybe doesn't have ADHD that we end up being really good at like communicate like like I feel like that's for me is like listening to people like between being ADHD and being from the northeast where we interrupt people constantly like I really had to learn how to listen to people at a level that most people just never even think about and then in turn I was like oh wait I have all of this knowledge about like how to have a conversation and how to listen to people and I guess other people haven't really thought about that and I could use that to like help them it sounds like you're doing that yeah. with Llama Life. But then I also love, okay, sorry. So how you were like learning to code, got yourself watching like YouTube videos, building the basic to-do list app. I remember like, my God, like years ago going to like a Rails Girls thing and like, yeah, starting out building a very basic to-do list. But then like you got into it. It sounds like you got that little hyper-focus bug. Uh-huh. And then you went from like, doing these YouTube videos and then you're just in very ADHD fashion, completely off somewhere else, like totally on the other side, like running off with something completely unrelated, but it is related, but like, you're just like, just way off on a tangent. And like, now it's your business. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Like, with, with, <laughs> with, no, That's pretty much what happened because, so with hyper-focus, I think, so I've been thinking like the reason why we tend to hyper-focus is because when we find something that really lights up our brain like you just love that feeling and you don't you don't want to stop and that's how I felt about coding so it's interesting though because I this is actually my third attempt to learn how to code the first two times I tried to read a book and it, it did not work it didn't it didn't click for me I tried reading a couple of chapters and just couldn't get into it and this third time I tried to think about, you know, what is my learning style? What works for me? I am terrible at reading books, fiction, nonfiction, it doesn't matter. So I I don't know why I thought reading a coding book was a good idea, but I just guess, I guess I saw people online doing that. So I was like, yeah, these books have good reviews. Let me try it. But in the end, I thought, well, I really like watching videos. I'm really good with audio and I'm really good with video from a learning perspective. So then I just started watching YouTube videos And I supplemented that with a Udemy course. I think I paid 20 bucks for it. And that became, you know, my whole like how to learn JavaScript. And I love it now. I just, I absolutely love it. I was spending, I don't know, four hours, five hours a day, just 
hyper-focusing and just being obsessed, learning everything I could about coding. And it was just a very natural thing. It was first a to-do list. And then I was like, okay, well, it's just a to-do list. Maybe I should connect a database to it so I can actually save stuff for people. Let me add like a user profile and an account and authentication. And every time I did an extra thing, it was it was all about learning. Like, okay, well, I want to learn how to add Stripe payments next. And if I look back now, it's sort of, it looks kind of like a larger app now, but it didn't feel overwhelming at the time because I was just doing it in little bits and it was all about me learning to code. So it was just kind of this very natural progression, weirdly so, like just very weirdly so. And I just love it. So it didn't feel like a chore to me. It was quite fun to do. And yeah, and it's just kind of become what it is today from that. Did you use Llama Life to build Llama Life? Oh, like like so when you were like, up. oh, like learn how to use Stripe. Like, did you have a to-do list item that was like, you know, <laughs> learn how to integrate Stripe and then like you check off the item and you're like, oh, that could be more fun. Like, let me add some confetti. Okay, hon, let me add a, like a to-do list item to add confetti when I complete an item. And then like <laughs> 10 yeah. steps down, you're like, oh, I was going to add Stripe checkout. That's why I started doing this in the first place. <laughs> a little bit like that. Yeah, I guess <laughs> it's kind of meta, meta in that way, isn't it? But um, yeah, it does keep me on track. And yeah, there's kind of all sorts of weird things that I've built into there. So it's not just when you finish a task or when the timer runs out, there's an alarm. But I also have kind of the reverse where if you're doing a task and you get distracted, you might need something to kind of bring you back to focus. So I, I've created this thing called chimes and you can just have it play like a chime, like a little sound every five minutes or every 10 minutes. And it's just something to kind of snap you back in case you're hyper-focusing on the wrong thing. So it's kind of like a reverse, a reverse thing. A lot of people have liked that feature. I guess it's just having an, an alarm on an interval. It sounds like, you know, an alarm is very like, an alarm says like, pay attention to this now. Mm. It's very, very startling, but it almost sounds like you're building this kind of like Pavlovian sort of like you snap your fingers and it's like, oh, and when I hear that snap, that means I'm supposed to figure out what I was doing in the first place. And so it's not as mm -hmm. intrusive or like, yeah, as intrusive as an alarm is, but more of the like, oh, I hear, you know, the whistle sound and then I mm. know that I need to, you know, get off of my Wikipedia rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. It's really designed to be kind of a, a companion to you, like while you're working, kind of like a friend. And that's, I think that's where the branding comes in with the llama, because the llama looks kind of friendly and quirky and fun, but it's really just meant to be with you while you work and, and almost like hold your hand and guide you so you stay focused and not get distracted on you know, down a rabbit hole for something else. So I'm curious, do you remember, like, was there any particular person's YouTube videos you were watching when you were learning to code? Or was it like a whole bunch of different things? Like, what did that look like? But also, like, how did you find four to five hours a day to watch YouTube videos about coding? Mm. So I, I had actually quit my job. I was working in like the innovation team for a healthcare company. And that was good in a lot of different ways, but it wasn't really what I wanted. It wasn't really kind of what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to create like a lot of products. I'd actually done a few startups in the past. So with those previous startups, I was working with a friend and that friend was doing all the coding and the dev work. And I was doing more the marketing and sort of the product and business side. But I've always just wanted to create like my own stuff. And I don't know, I kind of just hit this point in corporate life where I was like, okay, I think I just want to, I just want to do my own thing. And I think, I think this decision is a very personal one and it's different for everybody because some people say, you know, I'll, I'll do my, my corporate gig and I'll do my indie hacking stuff on the side until I reach a certain level of MRR and then I can afford to quit with me. I think I was quite I was quite lucky in the sense that I'd saved up a lot of money with my previous work that I I'd kind of worked out I had a certain amount of runway where I could quit and support myself for X amount of, you know, months. For a bit more context, I don't have kids either, and so in terms of supporting myself, it's really just supporting me. There's less responsibility in that sense because there's no one sort of under my care except my dog Homer, which we can talk about later. Um so I'd kind of just, yeah, I kind of just quit and I knew I had a certain amount of time to make something happen. And because of that, 
I think this works for my brain as well. There's a sense of urgency for me. You know, there's a sense of like, if you don't do this, you're kind of screwed. And that really helps me get into gear. Personally, if I kept working and I had a regular income and I was trying to learn this on the side, personally, that doesn't work for me because it's not as urgent. And I think that's just something for me, like that's just how my life has been in general. When I'm thrown into like, a really crazy situation, I tend to get a lot of focus and I find it exciting and stuff gets done. But if there's no urgency for me, then it could just drag on. I probably wouldn't have spent four hours a day if there was no urgency behind it. But I, I think everyone's a little bit different, but that's kind of how that's kind of how I did it. But it it makes sense, like on a sort of macro level, like knowing that you had, you know, X months of living expenses, basically time boxed you mm. into doing this. Now, some people also like they if they did that, like they might also just get really stressed that like it wasn't going to happen mm. in that amount of time. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like you were it, it, it was able to be a productive force for you. I mean, mm. I'm one of those people who you know had the side project on the side and the corporate jobs and mm. like and. <laughs> like kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off because I was so scared. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think like there's a really this question of like, not only can I afford it, but also like, am I capable of this? Mm. Like, those are feel like two very different questions. And it sounds like you believed you were capable of running your own business. For me, it took me a really long time to believe it. Mm. Yeah, it's Hmm, it's interesting. So the other way I look at it is, so obviously if you quit your job, there's no income coming in and you're spending time kind of getting a business off the ground, right? But I kind of think of it, you know, sometimes people take a gap year or, you know, they're working and they might stop and do an MBA or something. They might go back to university and they're spending time and money doing that. And for me, the way I justified it in my head was, okay, well, I'm not going to go back to university and pay for another degree. But what I will do is, you know, I'll just take time off work to do it. And in effect, I'm kind of paying for that experience because there's no money coming in. So I kind of justify it that way. It's like, I'm not paying for a degree, but I'm paying for experience in a, in a way, in a fashion. And that kind of really helped me think about the value behind it. And obviously you're not, you're not going to a lecture and being taught, but you're teaching yourself. And for me, that actually worked out really well because I could never sit in a lecture and pay attention for the whole time, right? I just, I struggled so badly to do that. But if I'm teaching myself and I'm watching a video, I could fast forward the video if I get it and I can rewind the video if I don't get it. If the video itself wasn't working for me, if that particular channel on YouTube wasn't working, I would just go and find someone else. And I think you have a lot more control over your learning when you're doing it that way. And you asked before, like, are there particular channels that I follow? And I think what I did was I had like two or three. So there's one called JavaScript 30 by Wes Boss. There's a guy called Dev Ed on YouTube, which I really like. And also Travesty Media. They're kind of the three that I was looking at. Uh, we can put some some links maybe in the, in the show notes later. Um, they were kind of like three sort of staple ones. And then if there was a specific topic that I was struggling on, like a specific coding challenge I was struggling on, I would just go Google like that specific thing and hunt for anybody who had solved that or who could explain it. So it was kind of like a mixture. But I, th I think the main point I'm trying to make is that like you have to really just go with what works for you. That was kind of like a big thing for me was I don't really fit into some of these more traditional learning models um, university, reading books, etc. But I kind of know what works for me. And because I'm doing my own thing, I have so much more freedom to go, well, that doesn't work. I don't want to do that. I don't want to sit, you know, for several hours doing that one thing, listening to this one teacher on YouTube. If they don't work for me, if they don't click with how I'm thinking about things, well, I don't click with the way they're explaining it. But that's fine because I can control my own learning. I can go somewhere else. Maybe it's not YouTube. Maybe it was Stack Overflow or maybe it's Reddit. You have so much more freedom to figure out what works for you and you can just go in that direction. Yes. I mean, it sounds like you basically built your own education in this and really got so much satisfaction 
out of building it, but also you were it, like sounds like from the very early stages, you were also getting feedback from people who wanted to use it, who wanted to try using it. And I think this is something really like there's something really magical about getting feedback from users that not only does it help you make sure you're kind of building the right thing or building in the right direction, but having people who are using it is so like motivating, right? I think people talk about like, how do you keep motivation as an indie hacker or as an independent business owner? And for me, like that, that motivation comes from just like knowing that I'm helping people. And it sounds like that, like, like I almost like took you by surprise that people wanted to use it. But then that like kind of kept you going. Yeah, 100%. You know, I think I tweeted about this a a few weeks ago, but it was maybe nine o'clock at night and I was ready to, you know, just relax, put my feet up, maybe watch some Netflix. And then somebody emailed me with some really positive feedback about Llama Life. And then I was like, oh, I'm like, I've got a second wind. And then I was like, okay, let me get my laptop back out. And I started just coding like a new feature because... It's, you're right. Like it's just so motivating, right? It's just so empowering and it just feels so good that someone else appreciates the work. And yeah, it really just is like my energy for this. And um, yeah, so I always, whenever I look at other indie hacker products, I'm like, if I like it, even if it's just a small part of it, I will write to that person because I know how good it feels when someone writes to me and says, hey, you know, I really love what you've done here. And here's a feature suggestion. It's just, it's, yeah, it's just so much. It's like fuel. It's fuel that keeps me going. I think the world would be a much nicer place if like every day, like each one of us had a goal to just compliment somebody's work. Mm. And as you said, it, it can just be like a small thing about it. It doesn't have to be like, you know, I love the business model you've created here. And like, this is amazing. It should be like, I love how there's confetti when I check something off. Like it just makes Mm. me happy. It's just like something small, but taking the time to appreciate someone else can feel awkward, but it's so powerful. And once you get in the habit of doing it and receiving appreciation, like it's just, it's amazing. Like I, for me, it is the best dopamine fuel. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I think it's also a good way to make friends as well. You know, obviously the feedback that you're giving needs to be genuine, but if someone reaches out to me and they have something nice to say about the website that is truly genuine, then I'm probably going to write back and say hi, or, you know, thanks for, thanks for that. I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get a lot more like random DMs on Twitter. And I used to have this thing where like every time I looked at my DMs, especially the ones that are message requests. So these are people that you don't follow, right? And they just they just message you. I used to have kind of this anxiety moment where I was like, I don't really know what this person's going to say. And is it just going to be something like they want something from me? I get a lot of requests saying, can you review this? Or can you upvote me on product hunt? And I just sometimes like if I don't know someone, I'll probably won't do it. I probably won't accept the message request. Unless it's constructive, unless it's something like it's a compliment or they're giving feedback. But I think there's just this trend where a lot of people just expect you to reply. And that was actually really getting to me for some time. But now when I I go into my message requests, I kind of take a deep breath. I'm like, okay, let me see what there is. But I don't know if you've ever had that with your account I think as you get more followers it gets it kind of gets exponentially worse this is well that's something weird about Twitter right is like the more you use the product the worse the experience gets like Mm. like if you have a viral tweet like I don't know if you've ever had a viral tweet but like your mentions just become a dumpster fire Mm -hmm. like like leaving your little safe little community like is dangerous on Twitter I was thinking about this the other day like I'm really struggling with how to like manage like the whole thing of DMs because like if it's like somebody that I know and I follow and like we're chatting about something like it's fine but there's there's the whole thing about like I I used to be able to just you know if someone reached out to me like I used to be able to just like hop on a phone call with them and chat and like whatever I just don't I have so many people asking me for that now and I just don't have time for it in which people say oh well then you should do consulting and I'm like but these are like other people who are just trying to get their business started they're trying to figure something out I can't just like charge them $500 for a phone call I would feel bad even if they mm. could pay it I would feel bad taking their money yeah. and so sometimes like I have to, I feel like I'm kind of rude and I'm like and like they're like oh how did you start your business and I'm like 
I have done so many podcasts where I talked about that and I'm really bored of talking about that. Like, mm-hmm. and I have to like start either ignoring people or not like not, you know, they say they want a phone call and I just like, I can't do it. And I feel yeah. so bad because that's why I like, I love talking to people. I just like love making friends and everything. And I just feel like I can't do that anymore. Like, yeah. you know, if it's someone I've been like tweeting with and they like ask me to upvote them on product hunt and like, that's it. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Though then again, if I say this now and I end up getting like 50 of those a day, <laughs> like I can't do it anymore. You know, like it's the problem, right? Like, yeah. I'm actually really struggling with this. But then there also are like conversations I do have with people like where there actually needs to be something I need to do out of it and then because the twitter dms experience itself is just not organized like i end up forgetting about it and like i needed to email someone and like quite behind on my dms (laughs) like i feel like they build up and um i lose them like and then so like if somebody dms me something that i actually need to like do an action out of i feel so bad but i end up being like hey like can you email this to me because otherwise i'm going to forget about it and i Mm. feel like i'm like imposing my process on people but yeah i i am struggling with dms somebody create a product to to manage dms but also i don't even like like the experience most of the time i don't think i would pay for it i feel like this is twitter's responsibility to like have a better product experience here that like but but it's like where is that where is that like line and like protecting your own time and like it's i have not i have not figured that out one of the things I do is if I get a lot of DMs about a particular like topic, then I'll say to that person, let me tweet about it so then everyone can sort of hear hear the oh, answer or just I I, you can that. kind of, you can kind of use it as feedback in a way like th- this is what everyone's asking about. So for yeah. your case, if it's you know how did you start your business, then maybe you could just do a tweet. You probably already done this a billion times, but you could do another tweet on it and just say, well. I'll tweet about it again so then everybody can learn. So I don't think I actually have. Like, I don't think I've ever made a thread of like, this is how we started our business. Or like, here's like, you know, five of the, you know, dozens and dozens I've done where we talk about how we, or like, here's a talk I did or whatever. I don't have those references for myself that I can basically use as a safe reply. Thread time. (laughs) Yeah. I hate threads normally though, but. um. I know. Yeah. It's like, how much time do I actually want to spend thinking about Twitter? Think of, you know, because we had Arvid on a couple of weeks ago, like talking about Twitter strategy. And I was like, oh, I should like really, I should really think more about this. I should go through his course. Like, and (laughs) you were saying how because you have like ADHD, you find it really hard to sit in traditional classes and read books and you prefer watching videos and said, I hate watching videos. Like I, like if you send me a video to watch, I will probably not watch it because I can read so much faster that like someone asked me the other day if I'd listen to their podcast and I was like, uh, no, there's no transcript. I only listen to podcasts when I'm driving a long distance. And so, Mm. and I don't do that very often. That's really the only time I can sit down long enough to listen to audio and deal with the fact that I could absorb the information so much faster in text and also be able to reference it later. Because I feel like in a video, I can't reference it later. And like, I love like checking off things in a sil- like like a syllabus with all of the mm-hmm. homework assignments listed and chapters. Like that's a to-do list to me. Like, I love that. I have an MBA. I am all in on structure, like, because I don't have any myself. Um, I think, I think, but I think, you know, that's, <laughs> this is, a, so I think everybody's different, right? So it's yeah. just about, it's just about figuring out what works for you and you having a system to go through that and to check things off. And, and that's why I like Notion so much because it's so flexible as a tool, right? It can be as simple as you want or as complicated as you want. And you can have multiple databases in Notion and you can also link to those databases, kind of create, you know, relational databases. But that's what's so cool about it is that it kind of gives you all the building blocks and you can design something that works for you based on what they give you. Um, and that's kind of what I was, I'm trying to do with Llama Life as well. I'm trying to make it flexible enough that you can tweak stuff. There's a lot of settings. So when you look at it initially, it looks really simple. And I don't know if that's worked against me in some ways that people come and they look at it and they think it's so simple and they're like, well, no, I don't need that. But that's kind of how I've designed it. So it looks simple on the surface, but if you go into settings, you can actually customize it 
a lot. And that's just because like, I feel like everybody's slightly different. So what works for me might not necessarily work for you. Conceptually, obviously there's like a core of it and it's always around timers and time boxing, but in terms of how you want to set it up and tweak it, turn sounds off, turn sounds on, um, have different types of alarms. So there's like a, there's a visual alarm that's just silent. Some people don't want to have a sound that startles them. So you can just have it flash at you like in red or whatever color you choose just to kind of catch at the side of your eye. But that's kind of one of the design, like the core things of it. When I think about the design, it's, I want to make sure it's really flexible. Um, so we'll, we'll see if that hurts it in the long run, but now it's just something I, I constantly think about like, well, if someone, someone might not like that. So let me put in like a toggle switch and you can choose to turn it on or off depending what works for you. I love that because like your neurodiversity is not mine, is not somebody else's. <laughs> My nervous. Is not like, you know, like like your expression of that or like yeah. even for people who don't know what the word neurodiverse is, which probably means they're neurotypical. Oh, in this I, thought you said, like, like I thought you said nerd as in like oh, N-E-R-D. Neurodiversity. Like, nerd, no, that's a whole yeah, other thing. Like, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was like well, I, I've never heard that before. And I was like, that's actually kind of a cool little neurodiversity. phrase. Neurodiversity. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? You know, like accepting like your way of viewing something and getting yeah. something done is not everybody else's. And like there's a yeah. certain humility in that that I think, you know, people talk about whether products should be opinionated, right? Mm-hmm. Whether they should have a specific flow for things. And there, it sounds like you, there are some certain things that your product is opinionated about, mm-hmm. like the concept of time boxing. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of things actually extremely flexible on it. I think what I'm I'm pulling from this is that you can build something that other people have already quote unquote built, right? Like you, you built a to-do list app that has been built literally millions of times because so many people do it as their first code project. But what made mm-hmm. that different was that you really applied your own perspective on this. And it reminds me of a famous um, Goethe quote, which is that, you know, all truly wise thoughts have already been thought. And what is simply need to be done is to, you know, rethink them in our own experience. I'm probably butchering that. Sorry. My apologies to the great German philosopher. But like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like people ask this question all the time of like indie hacking businesses. It's like, well, like somebody already built, you know, a to-do list. Somebody already built a Twitter scheduler. Somebody already built like whatever, you know, a calendar app, like whatever that is, right? Like, but have they really, like you have this unique lens to it. And if you can find, like, there's something there that you feel like hasn't been done yet, you can make something really magical about it. I spent so much time thinking about, am I writing a book that already exists? It was really important to me that I didn't write a book that already existed. And so I read a million books on it. And and the more I read about them, the more other books I read, I was like, you know what? My perspective and the thing that I notice resonates with people because it's not just about your own experiences. How do people react when you share your perspective on it? Mm-hmm. Like, yep. Yep. that's not here. And so you saw that and you ran with that and really made it into this flexible tool, this thing that people kind of take for granted and, and made it kind of exciting. I think it's a good example of, you know, niching, 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 depends how you say it niching down. So it is kind of this to-do list app, but it's got timers. And then it is really kind of not everybody, it's not going to work for everybody. So it is, it's really obvious to me because I can see when someone signs up and when they convert to a paid user. And typically what happens is they convert like really quickly or they just leave really quickly. Like I can see all the activity on their account has just stopped. They're not returning like the next day. It's just, They've looked at it and they've decided, no, that doesn't work for me. Or they go, yeah, I'm just going to pay for like an annual plan straight away because it just clicked so, so strongly. So I think it's maybe a good example of, you know, your product doesn't need to be for everyone. It can be for a specific kind of audience. And because it's polarizing, like I can see that. I can see that in the data, like it's completely polarizing and it's not a bad thing because that means I can, when I design it, I'm designing for my audience I don't have to design for everyone. That's when it kind of gets to be like a nothing product because it becomes so general and then it becomes like any other, like you said, any other to-do list. That's kind of not where I want it to go. But because it's slightly opinionated in, in the way it's going and the design is a little bit different, it just makes it 
and the audience is different. It just makes it a lot easier for me when I'm thinking like, what features can I add? I don't need to satisfy everyone. I can just go, well, if I satisfy myself, that's the first step because I know that I'm definitely someone who really needs it. The pain point for me is so strong. And like you said, I've been kind of thinking about this so much. What works for me? What can I, you know, conceptually, what works for me? And if it works for me, that's kind of the first step. And I might build it in or at least talk to some customers. Like I've got some super fans for Llama Life. So I sometimes will just say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would you want that? And then they're like, yeah, yeah, we would like, we would really want that. And then I'll just build it. But I think it helps to kind of, yeah, get laser focused on it and, and sort of niche down. Well, and like crucially important there is that your audience is willing to pay for it, right? Mm-hmm. If you niche down on an audience and a way of doing things or a problem that nobody else experiences or only 10 other people experience and they're not willing to pay for it, then, you know, that that's a sign to move away from it, right? Like mm-hmm. there's there's dangers in following a niche. But for you, you, you have struck on something that other people experience, other people understand, like other people understand your perspective on it and you also understand other people's perspective on it and Mm. they are willing to pay for it yeah that's the key thing you know because at the beginning it was just free like when I started partly because I didn't know how to add payments so it was just this free app it kind of went through stages so originally it was free and then it became buy me a coffee so I added the the buy me a coffee link then it became a one-time payment for like a crazy like it was like four dollars or something crazy like super small. And then it went to $6, I think, $9. It's like the typical thing where everybody tells you to raise your price, but you're kind of super nervous to do it because you always underestimate how much your own product is worth. So I think it went from $4 to $6 to $9. Then it went to $19.99. Then it went to subscription. So it started off just that one-time payment, then it went to subscription. And now it's it's $49.99 per year for an annual subscription. And that seems to be kind of the price point where, you know, obviously you want to look at your overall revenue that that's not going down, but for now, and this might change in future, but for now, like I'm happy to have slightly fewer customers at a higher price point and really make sure that those customers are getting value from it. And then I guess we'll see from there, but that's kind of where, where it's at at the moment rather than having like a crazy number of users at a super cheap price point, I'd rather have it a a slightly less number of users for a high price point. Because that means I can have a relationship with those users. We can email more if they have requests or any support requests as well. I can attend to them. You know, there's kind of always this balance, right, in terms of how much time you have when you're a really small team. And I want to make sure that everyone that's using it is like super happy with it. And that can't happen if there's too many users, you know, at a low price point. Is that forty nine ninety nine a year price point sustainable for you? I guess what I'm wondering, like, does the business as it is right now, like, does it cover your not only like business expenses, but like living expenses? Not at the moment. Not at the moment. But I, I've shared this on Twitter before. Um, I did get into an accelerator program. Ooh, so yeah, nice. so this was a, this was a while back now. This was in May in 2021. Actually, it's almost coming up to a year. That's crazy. Um, but in May 2021, it's funny because I was just doing my usual thing on Twitter, kind of just building in public, sharing stuff. And J- you know Jason Calacanis, um, uh, angel yeah. investor. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so someone on his team saw Llama Life on Twitter and they bought it and they liked it. And then they reached out to me over Twitter DMs and said, hey, like, I really like what you're doing with Llama Life. I can see that you're bootstrapping it. Would you ever consider, you know, raising a little bit of money and joining an accelerator program? And I was like, well, I hadn't thought of it, but now that you say it and because you're in my DMs, yeah, let's have a chat. So we had a chat. He said, why don't you apply? So I applied, went through all the interview process And as part of that accelerator, so this is the launch accelerator that's run by Jason Calacanis. And as part of that, they give you 100K and you go through the accelerator program in exchange for equity, which is uh, 6% of the business. And that has really helped kind of, you know, sustain it, take a little bit of pressure off as well. And um, yeah, I think that's a tricky thing when you're bootstrapping and indie hacking is that you kind of... You want a price point that is acceptable to your, your consumers, but based on the volume you get at the time, it might not be sustainable for you 
from a living perspective and in which case a lot of businesses just fail just because you, you just it's just hard to keep going when you've got no money. But I think with this, it kind of just gave me a little bit of a buffer so I could focus a bit less on the price and just try to figure out what customers are, are wanting, make sure the initial customers are very happy. Um, and I think that's one of Llama Life's strengths because the user base isn't massive, but the user base it has, they're, they're pretty like happy with the product. And I have a I have a good relationship with a lot of them as well, because if they email me, I'm going to email back and we, we have a dialogue going. And it's kind of one of those things where you've got a small group of people who love it and they're all really kind of loyal and they generate word of mouth and you can kind of grow it out from there. Whereas I think if you take the opposite approach where you're just going for like volume, you can kind of spread yourself too thin, both from a, you know, a customer support perspective, but also just a community building perspective. And when you're too thin, like it can fall apart really quickly. It's kind of just held, if you kind of imagine it's kind of just held together just by like thin wisps of thread or something. And I think that's kind of where things can break apart. Whereas Llama Life's a bit different. It's kind of, it's quite solid, like the community around it. And it might not be growing like exponentially at the moment, but it's growing quite steadily with a really strong community. And at some point, you know, ex- at some point you can start adding fuel to that to make it grow exponentially. But for now, I'm just trying to make sure that everyone who uses it really likes it and they're really happy. They felt heard. So, that, you know, I reply to every single email it might take me a little bit longer, but yeah, everyone who emails me, they get an email back. And yeah, that's that's kind of the approach we're taking right now. And I actually hired my friend as well. So now there's two people. It's me and my friend. So it started off just myself, but getting that sort of injection of cash has allowed me to hire hire somebody as well. That took a little bit of pressure off. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'm curious. Do you have a sense for you said somebody on Jason's team bought it and started using it? Do you mm-hmm. have a sense for for whether like because it sounds like this product is both B2C and potentially B2B. Like, do you have a mm. sense for what percentage of your customers consider this to be a business expense that they charge to their business or a business versus what percentage are paying for it personally? I don't know that for sure because I don't ask them, but there is a little note on Llama Life's website that says, you know, a hot tip is that. You could, ex- you could possibly expense this as a work expense, but check with your boss. I think it's kind of the right time for a product like this because a lot of us are working from home and that kind of expense is a lot more acceptable nowadays. But I don't know for sure. In my mind, it's still very much a B2C product. And if it that there are plans to take it into enterprise, but I think that has to be managed like very, very carefully because I would never want it to be a product where somebody in a corporate environment is sort of mandating that you use Llama Life because they want to make sure everybody on their team is productive. That's definitely not where I want to take it. When it goes into enterprise, I want it to be a lot more bottom-up. So it would be a tool that the employees themselves use or want to use, and they go to their manager and say, can we have this for the team? Can we expense it? That's definitely the way I want to go in versus the micromanagement sort of top-down approach. And, you know, I think it's it's a hard transition to make and it's not anywhere near that at the moment. I'm still focusing very much just on B2C, but eventually I think in order for it to become very profitable, selling the enterprise or selling it, you know, a, a bulk deal for licenses you know, maybe a company says, our employees really want this, um, or maybe they want to offer it as part of a wellness package. I see a lot of big companies doing that nowadays, you know, as part of a wellness package, a working from home package, we will give you access to a meditation app like calm.com and maybe a productivity app. And here's like a hamper of like chocolates or something to help make your work from home experience better. I can kind of see it going that direction where a company says, hey, we'll buy a hundred licenses for Llama Life, a hundred accounts, and we'll distribute that to our employees as part of a a package. I'd like to try that kind of route, um, but it's pretty early days. So we'll see how that goes. We haven't, we've had one customer do that. So one customer, shout out to Prashant, he bought 10 licenses uh, or 10 annual plans for Llama Life. So that was, that was good. I'm not sure how exactly he's using it, but 
I think he plans to give it out to his his team or at least, you know, people in his family. So that was a really good, that was kind of a really good moment for me because I was like, well, this could happen. Like somebody else has wanted to buy it in bulk and give it out to people on their team or to their family to, to help them with productivity. Yeah. I love how you're thinking of that as like, you don't want you don't want it to become this like forced productivity tool that's, you know, the the factory manager like walking around and, you know, getting the data back on whether the employees are being productive and using it because like that could get really that could get toxic. So I love that you're being conscious about that. But perhaps this is a good place to stop, but also to mention that when you get to that point of thinking about company-wide plans and enterprise and whatnot, maybe we should have you back on because that sales process that you described where the employees want to use it themselves and then they ask their boss if they can use it and then the boss reaches out to you and says, hey, my employees want to use this. How do we make it work? That is our sales process. Like We don't do any outbound sales at all. Like We just have people calling us up and then willing to pay us tens of thousands of dollars a year for mm. something. So yeah. that can definitely work. It does take a lot of care and sort of how you how you structure that. But yeah, I, I feel like this, you know, that's going to be one of the next stages for you. And mm. that, that could be a fun conversation. It is definitely the next stage. I think the next 12 months or so are going to be very interesting. Indeed. So <laughs> if people want to follow all of the interesting things that are going to happen where should they check you out and where should they check out llama life so you can follow me on twitter i'm at three hour coffee that spells out the word three hour coffee and llama life is at llamalife.co that's dot co llamalife.co well marie ung thank you so much for joining us this has been really lovely and uh speaking for myself personally i cannot wait to see more pictures of your adorable dog homer <laughs> on twitter because it only makes me want to follow you even more so thank you so much for coming on software social this has been really fun yeah thank you so much for having me i'll see you on twitter see ya Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.